You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I would have been much better served uh, as a speculator myself, uh, but also as an advisor, if I had done less. Uh, I have said on your show that rather than uh, taking 1,500 swings at the ball over 40 years or 45 years, I would have been better off confining all of my efforts to the 10 best people I knew in my 20s and 30s. I would have worked half as hard, uh, I would have made more than twice as much money, uh, and I would have uh, been burdened by 90% less human aggravation. I'm Bill Powers, and this is Mining Stock Education. Thank you for tuning in again. Well, joining me today is Rick Grohl, formerly of Sprott U.S. Holdings, although he's still the largest shareholder and on the board, but he's now with Rule Investment Media. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes to Rule's, uh, Rick Grohl's YouTube channel, so you can go check that out where he'll be posting more frequently. Rick, thanks for joining me again today. I was thinking about how you're in this new season of life, and two years ago at PDAC, you you told me in an interview that if you could do it all over again, you wouldn't have chose this specific career path. You would have went into environmental insurance and bonding in the natural resource sector. So that surprised me. But my question to you now, as you reflect back on your career regarding free time, many of my listeners invest in mining stocks to generate wealth, to generate more free time so they don't have to live paycheck to paycheck or report to a, a boss. When you look back over your career, you obviously generated a lot of wealth, which could have resulted in free time, but you also invested a lot of your time back into your business. Looking back, would you have invested more in yourself and in free time like you're going to do now in this next season? The the answer is personalized. Uh, For most people, uh, had they enjoyed the success and frankly, the luck that I enjoyed, would have been well advised to develop other aspects of their life. Uh, Frankly, I'm a bit of a freak, uh, as is demonstrated by the fact that I'm interested in environmental bonding and remediation, such an arcane topic that nobody with a pulse ought to care. Uh, For myself being a freak, uh, my curiosity drives me. I'm a slave to my own curiosity. I'm a slave to my own ambition. And the probability that I could have diverted myself from these intellectual pastimes that are so amusing to me is nil. Uh, I, I would not have been able to do it. Uh, it's annual report season now. I'm retired and I'm spending about 13 hours a day uh, pulling through annual reports, uh, which is to say right now at this time of year in retirement, uh, I'm working 30 or 40% longer hours than I worked many weeks when I was working. I'm not advocating this, by the way. Um, one thing I have been very good at that I hope some of your listeners are good at too, is that when I go away, I actually go away. I'll, uh, you know, take my wife on safari to Laikipia in Kenya and it's impossible to work, uh, which is a very, very, very good thing. Uh, and if it's impossible for me to work, of course I don't, I am able to turn it off. My preference when I'm traveling is to be able to check in for 15 or 20 minutes a day because I have this background paranoia that something's going terribly wrong that I don't know about, which it never does. 
So sorry for the convoluted, long-winded answer. I think the right thing to do is uh, develop true balance in your life and several passions, uh, one of which could be sitting in the sunshine and doing nothing or drinking a beer. That's a very good thing. Uh, that wasn't ever an option for me, uh, you know, for reasons of my own. Rick, uh, so you're an entrepreneur. You generated wealth through being an entrepreneur, but there's many uh, listeners listening to us that are trying to generate wealth through mining stocks and their employees. They may, may not be wired as an entrepreneur or willing to take on the risk of an entrepreneur with their life savings, but they are willing to take on the risk of speculating in small cap mining stocks. So I've been reading this book called Free Capital, How 12 Private Investors Made Millions in the Stock Market. And the author differentiates between entrepreneurs and successful small cap investors. And he talks about how you can be successful at small cap speculation, but not have the makeup of an entrepreneur. And he wrote this, the skills and temperament required to do this are different from those required to advance in most careers and organizations, and also different from those of an entrepreneur. Personal investing requires no deference, self-promotion, management skills, or tack. It only requires a few good decisions. Uh, do you agree with this? And could you elaborate on your insights? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think uh, my entrepreneurial instincts have made me a less good investor because there's two passions. Uh, being a speculator involves assimilating a whole bunch of different kinds of data, a lot of which has to do with analyzing other entrepreneurs. To the extent that you're working 50 or 60 hours a week building your own business, you have less opportunity uh, to do the type of study and work that's necessary to build your portfolio. Several times in my life, I've built businesses, including Sprott Global, which I've sold, precisely because the time that was spent building the business detracted from the time that I spent in securities analysis. Uh, and I determined from my own point of view that I preferred to be a speculator to being an entrepreneur. Uh, I built businesses because nobody else would build them for me. Uh, I, I sort of had to do it. Uh, but my preference has always been uh, securities analysis. Uh, a, a lot of uh, retirement had to do with liberating me from my own ambition. Um, so I would suspect that having um, a curious mindset uh, and developing the skills necessary to be a speculator uh, is much more important than having an entrepreneurial mindset. And I would suggest that as a speculator, having an entrepreneurial mindset is actually detrimental to your success as a speculator. Don't you think it can help, though, when you're sizing up, particularly some of these upstart junior mining companies to see if that leader has the ambition and, you know, the ability to negotiate, push things forward when things don't go right, though? Some of those characteristics that you have as an entrepreneur, perceiving those in someone else could be helpful, though, right? I've thought a lot about this, uh, and I suspect that you can develop empathy without exhibiting the characteristics yourself. Uh, somebody who was a student who watched Ross Beatty build first Equinox and then Pan American and all of those other things would not have to have been in Ross Beatty's shoes. He or she merely could have uh, attempted to analyze uh, what attributes of those companies, what attributes of Ross caused them to be successful. Uh, one doesn't have to uh, exhibit uh, mania uh, to understand passion uh, and to the extent that one is spending his or her time 
studying income statements, studying balance sheets, uh, learning enough geology from a geologist. I'm not saying that they need a bachelor's or a master's in geology, but somebody who has spent enough time developing uh, enough access to information so that they can assimilate various forms of knowledge is very likely to outcompete the person who is spending 60 or 70 hours a week building their business and then speculating in their spare time. That makes sense. Activism as an investor. That's another thing this book talks about. I have some friends that speculate in mining stocks. They are 100% the activist investor. When they invest in a stock, they're on the phone with management multiple times a month, giving feedback. In your experience for the retail investor, what is the role of activism? And when do you want to make sure that you are giving feedback to these CEOs? But most real retail investors would be well inclined to be very dispassionate because most officers and directors, despite their assertions to the contrary, couldn't care less what you think. Um, sometimes if I own 9% of the company, they have to care what I think, but they don't care what I think, particularly because they value my judgment. They care what I think because I can cause them to be thanked and excused and I can make them pursue other employment opportunities. Uh, mostly the right thing to do when something uh, appears to be going wrong is to hit the sell button, uh, be an activist with your own portfolio and forget about, um, uh, doing the right thing in the market. Most of us simply don't have the leverage to do the right thing. Uh, if you are a speculator who is simultaneously a blogger, uh, if you're Bill Powers as an example, uh, and you have access to 30,000 other people, some of whom are in the same stock, then the circumstance is very, very different. Uh, if, the, if there is a possibility that your return on effort can increase your return on capital employed, then absolutely be an activist. Too many uh, small speculators that I have seen who personalize uh, management's efforts spend so much time fixing what's wrong with their portfolio that they never have a chance to get any money. Uh, it's important to recognize that the managers, by and large, could not care less what we think. As an example, uh, most I would say the majority, uh, maybe the vast majority of officers and directors who are Canadian domiciled don't agree with the gold thesis. They don't agree with the, gold, the silver thesis. They're actually uh, large government statists. They don't believe in their product. They're in the business because there's a couple million rabid Americans uh, who buy these things and drive down their cost of capital. Uh, and if you... Uh, were to give them some feedback uh, about some of their positions around, say, subsidies or hedging or something like that, uh, you would get really a condescending nod. Then they'd go have beer with their mates and say, God, you can't believe what these gringos just told me on the phone. These guys are so stupid. Uh, that's just a truism. FPX Nickel is developing the large-scale Dakar Nickel District in central British Columbia. Within the district is FPX Nickel's PEA stage Baptiste Nickel Deposit, which is projected to be among the world's top 10 largest nickel mines by annual output. The Baptiste Deposit has the potential for the lowest quartile operating costs at just $2.74 per pound. And compared to recent global nickel mines, the project requires a low capex. FPX is also commencing its first ever drill program at its van target in the Dakar Nickel District. 
surface samples have indicated that the van target footprint is larger in scale and 10 to 15% higher in grade than Baptiste. FPX Nickel trades in Canada as FPX and on the OTC under FPOCF. To learn more, go to FPXNickel.com. That's FPXNickel.com. Rick, you've told me over the years uh, when you do uh, reviews of my listeners that you've enjoyed getting in touch with the Main Street speculator rather than the Bay Street insider. So from the CEO's management. I like them. I like them more. (laughs) Uh, I absolutely positively like them more. Yeah. And and it's informed your overall perspective on how the market works. So from a CEO standpoint, even if you say, I don't need this little guy, don't you think that they should be open to at least learning and hearing the feedback from the little guy? I absolutely think they should. I don't think they are. Those are very different questions. Uh, There have been, I mean, one of the things that sets apart uh, a Bob Quartermain or a Ross Beatty or a Clive Johnson uh, or certainly in the old days, uh, uh, Hunter uh, of Hunter and Dickinson was their absolutely slavish focus on their owners, uh, understanding their owner's perspective. That's the difference between a tier one leader and a tier three leader. The population of leaders, however, is concentrated in tier three, uh, which is to say that you know, probably 85% of the managers of juniors are drawn from the ranks of the lame, the halt, and the blind, uh, not caring at all uh, about the preferences of their customers, except uh, to the extent that they can influence their customer's preference, rather than having their stewardship of the customer's assets shaped by the perception of the customer. I would suggest that that's the principal thing wrong with the junior mining industry. The managers look at the owners as unsecured creditors, not partners. Yeah. You've taught me that issuer capitulation is a sign of a commodity bottom. So, and you like to get a good financing deal with a five-year full warrant at the, at the bottom. So that's something you taught me years ago to look for. And when you see a lot of these juniors make that move off the bottom. So for example, the copper juniors performed phenomenally in February because you're so early in a lot of these deals, were you a seller or are you still holding on? Can you talk about how you played that move? Uh, I hang on to things that appear to have the ability to be tier one very slavishly. Now, if I have the opportunity to sell enough that I can sell a small proportion of my holdings and get the rest for free, uh, Ivanhoe is an example. If I'm a very large holder of Ivanhoe at 63 cents, uh, somewhere around $4, uh, I owe it to my estate to sell enough at $4 that I have the rest of my 63 cent stock for free. I'm in Congo after all, Uh, but the idea that somebody's going to shake me out uh, of a free position in a tier one deposit, uh, a trilogy, uh, an Ivanhoe, um, not going to happen. These things, when they go, when you get that wonderful trifecta of uh, a great deposit, a bad market, and a great leader, change your life. Uh, I, I look back to things like Pan American Silver. If my memory serves me correctly, we did the first financing there at 50 cents with a full warrant. Six years later, the stock was at $65. Did I sell some stock on the way up? Absolutely. Did I keep a bunch? Uh, Absolutely. So if I have uh, that trifecta, if I have a good position, well-bought in what becomes a tier one asset with a tier one person, 
I sell enough to get the rest of my position for free. I call that the point of no concern to differentiate it from losing money, which is the point of no return. In the second tier copper companies, uh, the ones that threatened but didn't appear to me to be able to be a tier one deposit, I've sold. I'm gone. Uh, Copper gave me too much too fast. I expected $4 copper in 2024, 2025. I got it in 2021. So the market gave me everything I wanted. Every reason that I own some of these stocks came true. And the stocks performed too. Uh, You're silly, uh, I think, to overstate your welcome when it becomes uh, reasonably clear to you that the probability of a tier one deposit is gone. By the way, we should define for your listeners uh, tier one. Uh, we are talking about a deposit that would be in the top 10 deposits worldwide in terms of uh, in situ reserve and resource. We're talking about a deposit that would be in the best quartile worldwide in terms of return on capital employed and in the best quartile worldwide in terms of cash operating costs. These are very rare beasts. Uh, You're talking in the gold business as an example. Uh, about deposits that are in excess of 5 million recoverable ounces in situ that would generate returns on capital employed uh, uh, above 30%. uh, And that would have uh, AISCs, all in sustaining sustaining costs, uh, certainly below $900, probably below $800. So when I say tier one, these are extremely rare beasts. uh, And these are ones that you hold through thick and thin uh, after you've reached the point of no concern. Rick, when you uh, see a stock that you expect the probability of going higher, in fact, much higher, is pretty great based on your experience and due diligence. And you mentioned Pan American, the success you had with a full warrant. Do you bet bigger? Because one of the keys, in my opinion, to successful small cap speculation is betting bigger on high conviction plays. And you got to use that knowledge arbitrage that you talk about. When you've developed the knowledge, you can see something earlier than other people see it. If you bet big, that's how wealth generation occurs. You're exactly correct, Bill. And if I've done something wrong in my career, it's that I've done too much. Uh, I have been too aggressively trying to encourage the opportunity pool that I've enjoyed, I would have been much better served uh, as a speculator myself, uh, but also as an advisor, if I had done less. Uh, I have said on your show that rather than uh, taking 1,500 swings at the ball over 40 years or 45 years, I would have been better off confining all of my efforts to the 10 best people I knew in my 20s and 30s. I would have worked half as hard. Uh, I would have made more than twice as much money. uh, And I would have uh, been burdened by 90% less human aggravation. Buffett uh, famously describes investing as a baseball game with no called strikes. Uh, You stand there, let the pitcher pitch, uh, and unless you swing, nothing can go wrong. So what you really do is you wait until the pitcher gets tired and throws a great big fat one right over the center. And then you dig your cleats in and swing for all you are worth. But following the baseball metaphor, uh, trying to squeeze out a single from a pitch that's high and inside, while I've done it hundreds of times, is profoundly stupid. Mm -hmm. If you were given a binary choice to choose a newsletter writer subscription, 
Would you choose a geologist or a private investor with demonstrated success? The, the latter, 10 days a week. Uh, speculation uh, in junior mining is a lot about geology, but it's much more about the, the assimilation of a lot of skills. Uh, the truth is, even with regards to geologists, you have to understand what their expertise is and what their biases are. In other words, you have to consume geologists intelligently. And the successful speculator, uh, the Eric Sprott is an example, is somebody who has a range of skills that enables uh, him or her to assimilate information from geologists, assimilate engineers from, uh, pardon me, uh, information from financiers, from financial analysts, uh, the ability to assimilate and systematize information and to risk and rank that information is more important than merely relying on geology. Rick, this last question, I'm not bringing it up just so we can collectively have a gripe session, a pity party together. <laughs> but as a speculator that takes on a massive amount of risk, when I finally have a winner, a big winner, Washington, D.C. right now is proposing upwards of a 50% capital gains tax for me when I factor in my state tax on top of their, what they're proposing for federal tax. So I take all this risk, I finally have a winner, and then the government takes half of it from me. How can I deal with this as a U.S. investor? Uh, well, renounce your citizenship. Oh, I can't do that, but I understand that would, that's an option. <laughs> that would that would be one thing. It's probably something I should have done when I was your age, to be honest with you. I, I think the, the safest place to be what's philosophically an American is out of American soil uh, with a free world passport. Uh, I'm not going to do it either, by the way. I'm old and fat and comfortable here. Um, I think higher capital gains taxes at the state and federal level are inevitable. I don't think they're last uh, because I think ultimately Americans are fair-minded people. Um, but I think that there'll be a burden on us for several years. Uh, I, I think it'll be bad for the economy. I think it'll be bad for society too. You know, I um, many years ago, uh, read uh, an op-ed, I think it was in the San Francisco Comical, which is what I call the Chronicle, the daily newspaper in San Francisco. And Willie Burton, I think, or no, well, Willie Brown, it was either Brown or Burton, uh, one of the California state legislators, was saying that the rich had to pay their fair share. And I immediately uh, sent them an email saying, I'm delighted that you had the courage to say that the rich should pay their fair share. 40% of America, pardon me, 1% uh, of America's taxpayers pay substantially in excess of 40% of the income and capital gains tax. So when might these taxpayers receive their rebate? Uh, there is no excuse for this capital gains tax. It is sold as, en as equity. It's not, it's envy. Uh, the truth is that uh, the 1%, in fact, to be fair, the one-tenth of 1%, one-tenth of 1% 1 of Americans pay over 30% of the income and capital gains tax paid uh, while they are providing the reinvestment capital and the risk capital that are driving the jobs and the payroll tax. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it was Einstein that said that the most common element in the universe was stupidity. 
uh, ranking right up with stupidity is envy. So uh, unfortunately, uh, <coughs> this worst of all viruses, uh, which is to say politics and envy, are, are going to be with us for a substantial period of time. Rick, before you go, you've been so generous to come on my show frequently. I got to allow you to share what you're doing now. Rule Investment Media. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. What more should listeners know? Uh, I'm moving on to this part in life where what interests me are unregulated activities and education. So I'm going to do more of this. Uh, but more often than I used to, uh, rather than... Uh, uh, how would I say this? Responding passively to Bill Powers' questions, I'm going to ask myself questions that amuse me. And I'm going to turn the tables, too. Uh, one of the things I'm really looking forward to doing is replicating the Living Legends minor, uh, panel at my conference, uh, meaning that With I'll less be, colorful language since it's on uh, YouTube? We'll see. Probably not. Uh, I'm going to interview people who've built billion-dollar companies and ask them what lessons they learned that made them better speculators. Uh, and what lessons that they can impart on other people. I also am going to do a feature called Other Voices, where I interview people uh, through the blogosphere, if you will. And rather than them ask me questions, I'm going to ask them questions, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, eventually, I'm going to find a way to make money at this, uh, although I don't really need to. I just think that uh, making money is uh, an objective measure of your success. Uh, people are willing to pay you if you generate value. And after I figured out how to generate value, uh, I'm going to measure that. So I'm going to find a way to monetize it. Although right now I have no earthly idea uh, what that's going to be. Um, not anyway, not I, on I'm YouTube ads, right? It won't be via YouTube ads. <laughs> no, no, no. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I will do YouTube, but I'm going to develop a channel of my own that they can't kick me off. Uh, one of the things that happens with YouTube is if they don't like the, the message that you deliver, if the message from their point of view is somehow politically incorrect, which I'm almost certain mine will be, uh, they have the ability to freeze you. Uh, and so, yes, I'm going to be active on YouTube because it's a very broad, very uh, democratic in the right phrase of that word uh, channel. But I'm going to develop something that's proprietary so that the only guy who can kick Rick Rule off is Rick Rule, uh, because I think the possibility of my getting kicked off a channel probably pretty high, uh, which I have no interest in. Uh, in the interest of that, however, uh, I'd like to reiterate the offer that I always do. The easiest way for me to meet people is to talk to them about something that they care about. And almost everybody I've ever met, certainly everybody I've ever met from your channel, uh, cares a lot about their own wealth and their mining stocks. So any of your listeners who care uh, about what I care about in terms of their mining stocks uh, should feel free to go to a, a website, sproutusa.com forward slash rankings uh, and enter your natural resource stocks. Please, again, no technology stocks, please, no pot stocks, no psilocybin stocks. Uh, I, I don't do those sort of things literally or figuratively. Uh, I'll rank your holdings one to 10, one being best, 10 being worst. And I'll comment on those stocks where I think my comments have some value. Feel free, by the way, to do one soon and then do one four weeks from now. The rankings are all going to change after annual report season. And I'm in the midst of annual report season. So the first rankings that you're going to get are stale. Uh, feel free to come back uh, for some non-stale ratings rankings in four or five weeks after I've had a chance to digest this mountain of information that's in front of me. Once again, sproutusa.com forward slash rankings.
Excellent. Well, you've been listening to the one and only Rick Rule. Rick, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate your insights. Always a pleasure. One thing I want to suggest to you is the next time we do it, what I really want to talk about is exploration. So let's keep that in mind. Uh, People are not focusing on exploration right now. And it's the way the market's moving. It's the thing that's going to work in 2022. People aren't focused on this at all. And I can see it just plain as day. And I'm just dying to get my teeth into that topic in front of your folks. All right. 30 days from now, I'm going to schedule as soon as we hang out. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.